Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, and thank you for letting us be part of your day. hope it's a good one for you. We're going to travel to a couple of different states today. We're going to go to the state of Texas, talk with the state Farm Bureau president there about the border situation as uh, there's a surge in migrants crossing the border. What impact is that having on Texas agriculture? How are Texas uh, ranchers, producers dealing with that? We'll talk about it with Russell Baining, the president of the Texas Farm Bureau, and also see how they're recovering from that uh, big winter storm last month as well. Then, speaking of winter storms, we're going to go to the state of Colorado. Lori Boyer, farm director at our affiliate KSIR in Fort Morgan, Colorado, will give us an update there on just how much snow in that area and uh, what about the conditions. Uh, is it dry there? How much has the snow helped? And just an overall look at the situation there in Colorado. And we're going to talk markets today with Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President with IHS Market. All that coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with the news. Todd Neely, DTN reporter, is with us. Todd, good to talk with you. Some news out of the uh, Kansas City area. E15 going to be allowed there year-round now. Yeah, you know, Mike, it's interesting. Um, when we had uh, the Trump administration announce uh, changes to the E15 sales rule, um, you know, there was not much said on, on local levels. But what we still had in, in uh, you know, there was an issue is that some cities still have problems with ozone. And uh, so, therefore, the E15 restrictions remained in place in some of these cities. And Kansas City was one of them. Uh, EPA changed all that last week, and uh, it, their ruling involves basically four counties. It's Johnson, Whitenot, uh in Kansas, and then Jackson, Clay, and, and Platt counties. That's five in Missouri. Um, and so this is a big market. You know, I, Kansas City is mm-hmm. a fairly good-sized metro area, and, uh, you know, I guess if, uh, if you want to build the market, you have to go uh, city by city as it is anyway. Um, and I'm sure there are other cities that still have some of these restrictions in place, but this was a, this was a big deal. It does take time, which makes me think of this push for electric vehicles and some people acting like it can happen overnight. It it, it doesn't happen that way, does it? No, it doesn't, you know, and it's something, you know, as we've seen with E15, it's, it's definitely going to be a slower build out. Um, you know, there is a demand for it. A lot of consumers have, have uh, you know been using the fuel and i and i think that you know as we go on down the road i i think we're just going to see an incremental build out you know e10 was the same way it took mm-hmm. it took some time you know epa approved that um and then what we've seen later is nearly 10 percent of all the gasoline in the country that's sold is e10 so it does take time it's something that we'll see play out in the next you know five or ten years Meanwhile, the RFS uh, court case going all the way to the Supreme Court over the uh, the small refinery waivers, April 27th, I understand, that's the court date? Right, yeah. Uh, that's when we'll see the oral arguments finally, and I think uh, we're going to know a lot from the oral arguments. Usually when you tune into these things, uh, you can tell by the way the judges question the attorneys from both sides, you know, where, where they sort of stand on things. And this is a big case because it's going to, uh, you know, it could very well either decide the fact that 
the small refineries exemptions will be very limited, which uh, if you look at the law right now, it appears to be that way, or whether EPA has more flexibility with that. Um, you know, it'll be interesting because the EPA on this, they've kind of changed course. They've kind of decided that, uh, you know, they agree with that 10th Circuit decision where, uh, you know, EPA was found to have not handled the program properly. Um, and so now we're going to have the high court look at it. I think it's going to be a really interesting set of oral arguments for sure. Speaking of EPA, Michael Regan now uh, confirmed as EPA administrator. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. A lot of times we'll see uh, nominees that go before the Senate. Uh, you know, they get a they get a wide measure of support. It's the votes usually ninety to ten or something even higher. Uh, Reagan passed the Senate in a sixty-six to thirty-four vote. Uh, there's still a number of concerns. You know, we saw things raised during uh, debate about this nominee, uh, whether he'll continue on uh, and do things as the Obama administration did, because you know he has been quite outspoken on the on the Trump water rule, and, and uh, you know, there's some there's some suggestion there that he uh, his EPA is going to backtrack on that Trump rule, uh, and so yeah, it uh, there's still some divide, obviously, you know, and when it comes to EPA, it's never uh, it's never usually all that uh, you know all that cut and dry. It's usually it's usually quite a bit of controversy. Yeah, we'll be watching that closely. Meanwhile, the Ag Department says it's looking for feedback on how to develop a climate-smart agriculture and forestry strategy as part of its uh, plan to reduce carbon emissions, and um, specifically USDA seeking input through the end of April on climate-smart agriculture and forestry, biofuels, bioproducts, renewable energy, and things like that. It, You know, my first thought on that is it... it re- it sounds like uh, farm bill hearings. Have everybody come in, right. say what they'd like to see in the next farm bill, and then you feel like they're going to go ahead and write the farm bill the way they want to anyway, but they go through the exercise. Right. It'll, it'll, we'll see if this is just an exercise or if uh, they really listen to what farmers have to say. Yeah, you know, Mike, I, I, would, I would hope with, with uh, Tom Vilsack leading the USDA that uh, a lot of this is going to be driven toward market, uh, expanding markets for, for ag. Um, you know, honestly, there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to bio, to bioenergy, not just in biofuels, but we're talking in chemicals, plastics. I mean, there's all sorts of, of cool markets out there that the farmers could be taking more advantage of. And my thought would be that I, I think that's the direction things are going under the Vilsac uh, USDA. Uh, but you're right. There again, we've seen it many times where, uh, you know, farmers are, are, are asked for their opinions and their input and the final product that comes out isn't necessarily what uh, what people had envisioned. But, uh, yeah, I think with Vilsack at EPA, at, or excuse me, at USDA, I think that, uh, you know, this, this presents a, a big opportunity for sure. Meanwhile, lots of money going out, checks being written in Washington, D.C., going out across the country. Um, agriculture gets some of that. We'll see how it plays out throughout rural America what happens with broadband and some other things like that. But, uh, wow, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, it. there's a lot of issues that, that we hope are going to play out in, in a positive way. Broadband is definitely one of them. Uh, if there's an investment in broadband, I, I honestly think that it's going to have to be a continued investment. We've seen millions and millions of dollars go toward uh, that very issue um, with the previous administration as well. But we're we're talking about quite a build-out in rural America. There are a lot of people who have Internet problems. I mean, we've seen it repeatedly, especially during this COVID lockdown last year. 
uh, you know, there are a lot of issues when it came to, to students and, and that sort of thing. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're hopefully this is uh, something we'll we'll look back on and say that this was a, a wise investment. We will see. Todd, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we're going to talk markets. What's going on here? What's going on in South America? Developing trends as we head towards spring planting time. Of course, uh, interesting to see what the, the acres numbers will turn out to be headed towards a planting intentions report at the end of the month. We'll talk about all that with Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President of IHS Market, next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you Choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom, covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk markets with Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President with IHS Market. Ken, thanks for joining us uh, as we head towards the official start of spring this coming weekend. Uh, our thoughts turning more and more to spring planning time. And, you know, we've had these concerns about a lot of dry areas in the country. And we've been watching that drought monitor map. Seems like it was the dry areas were expanding. And then a lot of snow and rain has uh, fallen the last few days, kind of, at least for now, alleviating some of those fears. Yeah, good morning, Mike. And certainly uh, those those fears are relieved. But, you know, on the flip side, uh, when it's dry, you can get in the field, you can put something in the ground. <laughs> At least when you get something in the ground, you get something to come up. And, you know, the last couple of years, we've seen some wetness in some areas that delayed that. So we've kind of got a, a bittersweet situation here, a little dry, but you can get into the work. But with this rain, uh, you start to get some moisture on there. But the question is how how much moisture is in there, how long, how deep can it go, and how long can it stay around, or, or does it just sort of dry up? But that dryness had been a concern, but we're coming into a good spot here, uh, as we are now. Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. And all the speculation about acres, we head towards the planning intentions report at the end of the month. What are you expecting on acres this year? Yeah, we're seeing uh, a great amount of interest to plant both corn and beans, and uh, as IHS Market does, we do our survey work and uh, talk with our uh, um, respondents and, and hear from them. Uh, great amount of interest to get into the field and do some work. Uh, we're expected to have in the next several days our, our next uh, look at the uh, area that's going to be planted ahead of the USDA planting intentions. But when we look at it, we're going to see record area planted to corn and soybeans combined. And uh, certainly there's great incentive with the way the prices have been set up. Uh, we've as we go through here, we did see a little bit of uh, correction here, maybe on the oil complex with um, the NOPA yesterday down for February. But a lot of that may have been associated with a little bit lower margins, but as, as well as the very cold, bitter weather that we had that really, and, and snow and ice that really sort of slowed up uh, production and a movement of product and such. And so uh, we may see a bit of a rebound coming out of that. But nonetheless, uh, we still got very high prices. They're going to be very incentivizing Farmers get in there, and we're seeing already. If, if we think about the southern states that are planting at Texas and mm-hmm. and uh, maybe even Arkansas and other places, you're you're right about average uh, on plantings, especially for corn. But as we go into this season here, uh, with about 184 million acres of combined uh, corn, soybeans, and we start thinking about the breakout there. Uh, you know, we're looking at roughly about 94 million acres of corn. 90 million acres of soybeans, and uh, very impressive as we go forward here, and it'd be a good setup uh, with what we've got, really, to try to cover ending stocks are going to be rather low and and from recent years, and certainly still fairly low in South America, where there's going to be pressure even to see the winter corn uh, really get out of the ground, and really it's going to be a late harvest from our guesstimates. So the U.S. situation is going to be very important as we go forward here to make sure we get uh, the crop into the ground and then start to seeing it be treated. We're talking with Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President with IHS Market. So you're at 94 million on corn acres, even higher than USDA. Yeah, and, and certainly 
uh, we're seeing that both economically and on our survey effort. And remember, uh, USDA will give us their first look at a survey-based intentions uh, uh, late this month, along with a March 1 uh, grain inventory uh, by location and by state. And so uh, we'll be curious to see how that comes out. And like I said, we'll get another look at our number uh, late this week, early next week, as uh, we're wrapping up the final surveys to come in here. And it, it just has been set up well for that corn to be uh, at that area. You know, we start looking back over recent years. Uh, it's not at a record area planting on corn. 2013, we were at 95 million. 2012, 97 million. Uh, but really, when you look at the full uh, area of with corn and beans, it gets to be very impressive. It's just the offset to some of the spring wheat that we'll see and, and some other crops in, in some of the fringe areas, but also to bring other land into production and, and to really push it as farmers are going to say, look, there's an opportunity here at these prices and willing to, to run with it here. As you said, planters already starting to roll in the southern part of the country and hopefully soon uh, throughout the Midwest. Um, let's talk China. Talk about uh, over there, maybe African swine fever starting again. Uh, questions about their soybean demand if that's if that's a big situation again as it has been before but that could also mean i guess demand for pork Uh, what are your thoughts on china as our our biggest customers moving through this year yeah and china the, the african swine fever there's been recognized pockets by the u.s the china government that they do see it coming back uh they're reporting incidents of it but they're very uh, uh, small numbers of incidents. And it's just hard to believe that you've got a couple handfuls here, a couple handfuls there. And, and really, it, it's very difficult to know what the situation is out of China. Uh, the reality is China still has a very a large hog herd. Uh, there's some talk that we're, we're understanding of a one of the large enterprise operations that has gone into uh, uh, operation recently may have had an ASF breakout. We just don't know the details. Uh, you know, one of the things is biosecurity, and that's most important, and we would expect that they're going to try to do all they can to protect it, but uh, with the amount of movement they ha- have with uh, animals, with feed, that gets to be very challenging, and that it can move fairly quickly in that regard, and we also know just the life cycle of, of ASF, it just doesn't go away after one year. There's, there's a long uh, number of years uh, for it to remain in the environment and to really eradicate it as you go forward here. Meanwhile, we saw a very good sale of corn this morning, about 1.2 million metric tons, and very strong as we've got them uh, here with us, uh, 25 million tons of corn imports for this year, 25 million tons for next year, uh, very strong. Soybean imports of about 105, uh, 108 or so million tons, and so very strong demand. Uh, as they've been trying to rebuild their hog herd, the question becomes, is there an offset here for some culling that will need to take place here that they'll substitute for with other meats? And we've seen the expansion into other uh, proteins, such as uh, where there's aquaculture, which is very uh, uh, meal dependent, but then also into the broiler sector and in the chicken, among other uh, meats that they've been buying. Of course, as you referenced, the, they bought a lot of pork from the United States this last year. So very tenuous situation there because that's been a very important feature to uh, the pull for the consumption and that demand that uh, the U.S. can provide uh, to China. Always hard to get accurate information out of China, that's for sure. And finally, uh, Ken, what are you seeing in South America as they struggle to get 
both the har- soybean harvest complete and their corn plantings done. Uh, what are you hearing about the quality of the soybean crop? Any problems, especially in Brazil, with the wet weather they've had? Yeah, you know, it, there's there's pockets of concern, and, and certainly, uh, in fact, there's pockets of destruction. I would say, is it swaths of devastation? No, it, it's there's still we're on a very large crop. You're going to still get some very decent quality that can come out of there, but there's going to be some probably some uh, degradation and some uh, penalties that will come forward uh, out of that for some of those uh, exporters that will have to uh, try to go into the export market. They don't quite have the infrastructure such as what we have in the United States to blend and to clean, so that's going to be a bit more problematic for them. But as you get to the northern ports or the uh, Mato Grosso and you're going to the north, a little bit more cleaner is what we're understanding, a bit better grade. It's just down in maybe some of the southern areas that you're seeing the problems being more uh, um, acute. Uh, But overall, with a very large crop that they're going to have, it it may uh, marginalize the the negative impact of some of the off-quality soybeans that we're seeing down there. But it's going to be important. If you get, continue to get rains, that it could delay the harvest further. That then, of course, then delays the plantings on the corn side. And we just don't see a fast planting. They can plant fast, but to plant fast enough to get harvest uh, as they would normally start in, in the our June, July, it really gets to be late July into August, September. And, and that gets to be very late. So that uh, puts opportunities back to the U.S. corn market here as we go forward um, into this uh, spring, uh, late summer. Yeah, well, as we know, late planning, then you start reducing your margin of error. The, the, the time crunch starts getting on you. Hey, real quick, do you think we'll be buying uh, soybeans from Brazil some point this year? Well, certainly the USDA's got a bit more uh, plugged in than what we do. Right now we're not seeing the economics signaling to do that, but we're understanding that you're going to start seeing some crushed plants start to idle or slow down. Um We'll probably get a few cargoes. Uh, will it be what we saw back uh, several years ago, uh, some 70 million uh, bushels? We don't think it's going to be that large. We think it's going to be something smaller, but we're just not seeing the economics uh, yet, Mike. And we're watching that very, very closely as we go forward as we think about what the different uh, fobs are, fob to fobs, and then the, the, the ocean freight that's got to move it here and the challenges around that to get it inland to a location. But, uh, you know, those things can change pretty quickly and what we do to recover from what we saw with NOPA yesterday. Right. Ken, good to talk with you. We look forward to having you back with us. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President, IHS Market. Up next, we'll talk with the president of the Texas Farm Bureau. Talk to him about the border situation and its impact on agriculture. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. I've been farming my whole life. 
I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support, local expertise, and valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. This week's export inspections impressed traders. The USDA reported weekly corn export inspections totaling 2.2 million metric tons. Three of the top 10 largest weekly corn shipment totals have occurred over the past three weeks. In general, markets are still at crossroads. Corn having surprising record demand has moved back into an upward trend. Bean demand is moving towards Brazil, allowing bean prices to sag. On the Board of Trade, May soybeans trading four and three quarters lower at 14.14 and three quarters. The July contract down a nickel at 14.05 and a fraction. For corn, the May contract down a half a cent at 5.49. The July contract down a penny and a half cent at 5.36 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat may down 11 at 6.34. Kansas City wheat may down 12 at 5.94 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat may down seven and a half cent at 6.31 and a half. The July contract down eight and a fraction at 6.38 and a half cent. The strength of cattle futures with later contracts pushing to new highs yesterday indicates optimism remains plentiful. Funds stepped in to buy the break, turning the trend back up. Just when one thinks that the hog market may seem top heavy, prices shoot up, keeping the uptrend intact. Underlining fundamentals remain bullish. Looking at lean hog futures on the Board of Trade, the May contract trading $1.90 higher at $94.92. The April contract up $2.37 at $92.92. For live cattle, the April contract trading $0.20 cents lower at $118.92. The June contract down $0.47 at $121.30. For feeders, the April contract trading $0.52 cents lower at $143.40. The May contract down $0.15 at $149.57. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're happy to have with us the president of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining. A number of issues we want to talk about with Russell. 
Welcome. Glad to have you here on Adams on Agriculture. Russell, thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, first, let's kind of get an update. Uh, you had the big winter storm uh, back in February, did a lot of damage. Uh, what's been the impact on agriculture? How's the uh, recovery going? Well, I, I think the recovery is, is, is going well. Uh, some of it's going to take, you know, longer than, than, than others. But uh, I guess the biggest impact crop-wise, uh, I'm sure you've heard, is in the valley. Uh, citrus and vegetables uh, that was you know probably the biggest impact crop wise there was there was some grain there was a little bit corn and, and grain sorghum planted <clears throat> along the, the southern southern region so I'm sure some of that had to be replanted but that's not a that's not probably not a large uh, uh, amount and livestock wise uh, of course there was you know livestock losses whether it was young young calves some some uh, mature cattle and uh, milk milk situation uh, dairy farmers had to dump some milk uh, because of various reasons uh, processors not you know not not processing because of power issues or transportation issues to get it to the processor so overall uh, we are definitely in recovery mode and uh, and moving forward <laughs> And when it comes to the loss of power and the the controversy that's been around that um, are lessons learned from that and steps being taken to try to uh, avoid that from happening again if you get one of these kind of situations? Well, well, the, the short answer there is there's sure a lot of finger-pointing going on, Mike. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and I guess, you know, usually, as we all know, when, when things don't go the way they're supposed to or there's probably a little bit blame to go uh, different places. Uh, I'm not going to get in the weeds about that, but I will tell you that, yes, uh, it's being looked at uh, because my, my first statement within the first, you know, few days, we can do better than this. I mean, we, we really can, you know, not, like I said, again, not throwing any particular, uh, anybody particular under the bus, but uh, we definitely need to learn from it. And uh, I believe we will. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt that we will. Russell, any planters rolling in Texas? Oh yes, oh yes, big time. Uh, we're uh, we're uh, we farm and ranch a little bit southeast of San Antonio, so it kind of give you some, give your folks some perspective. I talked about the valley uh, of Texas, Brownsville, McAllen area having uh, vegetable losses and citrus losses. We're about three hours from there yet, so you know, and I, I got to go three hours south to get there. And uh, uh, so we've been planting now for about two weeks. <clears throat> and uh, corn, corn is up. I'm, 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 trying, I'm thinking as we're talking, a little over about two and a half weeks. Uh, Saturday was two weeks. And uh, uh, so we got corn up and we're putting grain sorghum in. Uh, so, the, yeah, the planters are pretty much running all the way from uh, the coastal bend, you know, Victoria, Corpus Christi area, all the way up to the Dallas area. Uh, Central Texas. Uh, the only place yet, you know, you get into West Texas, uh, you know, from Lubbock to to Amarillo uh, and North. Uh, they're they're still about uh, they're still a, several weeks away uh, uh, from rolling there. Yeah. Again, the the huge size of your state. I mean, it's different, to, such different conditions from one part of the state to the other. But uh, you you've gone in a few weeks from. Uh, 
snow and ice and freezing temperatures to planting corn and it being up. So that's just amazing how quickly it's turned around. We're talking with Russell Baining, president of Texas Farm Bureau. Russell, let's now talk about the this huge issue of the um, migrants crossing the border, uh, coming in to states like yours, a border state. Uh, how? Give us an update on the situation, what it's like there, its impact on Texas, Texas agriculture, how farmers and ranchers are dealing with it. Well, you know, you preface this by being a big state, and we are. And really, the, 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 the bulk of the issue is, is down in, the, in Texas, would be down in the Valley area. Uh, Brownsville, uh, McAllen, uh, you know, and not, not even quite as far as Laredo. So you get down in that area, and that's really where it's been. And I guess, you know, uh, for me right here, I really see no effects. Uh, uh, but talking to some folks down there, uh, whenever you have a surge like that, you have issues like your federal federal officials, federal inspectors, uh, you know, border patrol folks that do, you know, not only do uh, immigration control, but they do inspections on on uh, you know on truck traffic, and so whenever those folks get um, get taxed uh, to a great extent to to what they can get done. Uh, for instance, if they're have to, if they're if they're pulled away to to take care of of, of a migrant surge, well then they're pulled away from something like truck inspections. <clears throat> and my, most of your uh, listeners know, I mean, there's a lot of truck traffic that goes through that area, a lot of ag produce. Uh, I I talked to someone that pointed out you'll have a truck that might load produce on our side, and uh, you know a refrigerated truck. It crosses to Mexico to get some 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 Mexican produce, and then has to come back to deliver to Dallas, wherever. And the inspection process is really being slowed because of the manpower is being just just overwhelmed. Uh, you know, so that's one thing. Let's talk about you know maybe producers directly uh, in the Valley area. Uh, there were some crops. Uh, that made it through the freeze. Uh, so, you know, you have some winter crops that are looking to be harvested now or, or, or pretty soon. Uh, with all the the law enforcement presence, uh, your normal migrant folks that just come over as day workers, um, they're just a little less they're just a little little less uh, uh, enthusiastic about coming under those circumstances. Um, so it's it's kind of a, it, it's several things. And then you have the issue of just plain safety. Uh, people, you know, there's farms and, and ranches that are very close to the border. And, you know, we know that not everyone coming in this surge is, unfortunately, not everyone's a good law-abiding citizen. Of, 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 of even of, of wherever they're coming from. So you have that issue of safety concerns of folks that, 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 that farm and ranch. And of course that, you know, that spills over to the general public as well. So that's some of the issues they're dealing with. And, and uh, they, you know, their, their comment is we've, we've dealt with it before, but 
it, you know, it doesn't make it any more, more fun or more, e or, or any easier. That's for sure. So ironically, more people crossing the border could mean less farm workers that are needed right now. That that's, 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 that's very true, Mike. That, that's very true. And, and that's, you know, that is kind of an ironic thing, uh, uh to the whole deal. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I know they, I know they've dealt with it before and they know how, but it, it still makes for a difficult situation. Well, you mentioned earlier a lot of finger pointing going on. This is another issue where there's a lot of that going on. Yes, sir, it is. Yes, sir, it is. And I, I think, well, you know, we, we can talk long and hard about a, a responsible immigration policy. And uh, those of us in agriculture and, and, and you know, me, there's many uh, facets of agriculture that, that, that need labor, uh, you know, whether we're talking about fruits and vegetables, whether we're talking about dairy and livestock. And I mean, we know nearly every depends on the, you know, if you're strictly a row crop farmer, maybe not as much, uh, but, but uh, all of it needs to kind of, uh, and, and I don't know if the surge is going to make things worse, but it, we, we need to kind of work toward a responsible immigration policy that, that includes some 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 better guest worker programs uh, because agriculture needs it. Uh, uh, there's no doubt about it, and I'm sure there's there's other industries that uh, would argue that they need it as well. Uh, yeah, another we irony. Another. I was going to say ahead. another irony to this is the the surge makes the uh, issue you know more front and center about the need to get something done, but it may make it harder to get uh, an immigration package actually passed that that's right that's right mike I, I you know i've been i've been doing this a while in my life and and, and i think we have to separate the two uh, uh the, the 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 folks that are just coming over here just to come over here they have to be dealt with in in one manner and and again that's not that's above my pay grade to decide what that is but then then the the, the industries that need labor that quite frankly american workers aren't willing to do don't have to do whatever term you want to use then that needs to be the other issue and and, and we need to we need to work forward and i i know i'm maybe sounds like i'm oversimplifying it but sometimes you do in my opinion you do have to kind of simplify things to uh, uh to mm -hmm. to address them and uh, that, that's kind of my point on this well, Russell, we appreciate your time and giving us your perspective on the issues there in, in Texas and at the border that uh, we're hearing more and more about all the time. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks a lot. We look forward to talking again soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate appreciate your time as well. Thank you. Take care. Russell Baining, president of Texas Farm Bureau. Up next, we'll look at conditions in Colorado. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You may not realize how important three letters can be. 
For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. This week, we're joined by Joe Lardy, who provides market intelligence and insights for CHS Global Research. Planting season now just around the corner. What are you watching that could cause farmers to make some last-minute changes? The two things that I'm watching are futures prices and the weather. Right now, we have multiple commodities that are competing for the same acres. We've been extremely consistent with the number of acres that we have planted here in the U.S. the last half dozen years or so. So if we want more corn or bean acres, it has to come at the expense of another crop. Our acreage pie is always about the same size, and it really becomes a matter of who gets a bigger piece of it. And futures prices, I think, are going to have to move to a level where it makes for an easy decision on what to plant. A rally by one particular commodity would make picking a winner a whole lot easier. What are the current soybean to corn price ratios telling us now? Right now, the ratio is about 2.6. Looking back over the past 20 years, this is the highest level that we've been at. So this 2.6 level is the highest level that we've been at in early March. However, once we get into the planning window, the 2.6 level falls closer to the average. I've always thought that a ratio of about 2.5s is a pivot point, and you need to see that ratio really get stretched. So if we get up in that 2.8 or 2.9 level, that's really going to buy us a lot of bean acres. I believe that the soybean balance sheet is the tightest one. So soybean prices need to rally to buy those acres. That's Joe Lardy, who provides market intelligence and insights for CHS Global Research. Thanks for joining us around the table and to hear more from Joe and CHS experts, be sure to join Around the Table Live, the final look before spring planting on March 18th at noon central time. Learn more and register at cooperativeownership.com. 
A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we just heard the president of Texas Farm Bureau say that in the southern part of Texas, planters are rolling, corn going in, and already coming up. But in Colorado, the story is about snow in many parts of the state. Let's talk about it with Lori Boyer, farm broadcaster at KSIR Fort Morgan, Colorado, our AOA affiliate there. And uh, Lori, it's good to talk with you again. So um, how much snow do you have? Is there that much in Fort Morgan, or is it more in the mountains? Uh, the latter, as a matter of fact, Mike, there's way more in the mountains than we got out here. But I'll tell you, we're pretty happy campers out here right now. We have been in a severe drought. We've been in a D4 uh, official designation, so we have been so dry. So to get this nice, wet storm through here has been a godsend for us. While we didn't get near as much as they did on the Front Range and up in the mountains, we're getting, I would say, anywhere what I've heard in the numbers here from the last couple of days six to eight inches of snow, but it's, that's a little deceiving because we got some rain in there. We got a couple of bouts of rain, and it was warm enough that that snow was melting as it was coming down. So a good moisture picture is a little hard to put out there, but six to eight inches of snow is what we're seeing. And then in the range gauge, anywhere from one to two inches, depending on where you are here in eastern Colorado. So nice and wet out there. So your farmers are feeling a lot better than they were just a few days ago. Absolutely. It's going to make such a huge difference for us in our pastures. And we are in calving season, so I know this storm was a little rough on those that were out there calving and, and trying to take care of those babies. But the big picture is pasture conditions should dramatically improve as a result of this. We might even have another little storm come our way next week. I don't think it's supposed to produce as much, but still moisture is moisture. And our wheat is what really needed a drink, and we got a nice, good soaker. So that will be really good for that wheat. I was going to say, what are, what is the condition of your wheat crop? You know, I've talked to the wheat growers here, and it depends kind of on who you talk to. Colorado is like that. It's hit and miss. There could be some areas that are extremely dry and in other areas that got good moisture. It's just that's how we are out here. That's how we roll. So some farmers will tell you that the, the wheat wasn't doing real good. Subsoil moistures were real low. And, you know, they were not sure how it was going to turn out. Other areas got some good subsoil moisture. As we know, wheat is pretty hardy. It has that nine lives 
And so I, I don't think anybody was getting crazy yet, but they were certainly getting a little worried on what was going to happen. I did just recently hear more in the east central part of the state that there was some chiseling going on because it was so dry. That's the first I'd heard about that, Mike. We're talking with Lori Boyer from KSIR, Fort Morgan, Colorado, Eastern Colorado. And Lori, uh, uh, for those not familiar with your area, you have very diverse agriculture. You have a lot of uh, a lot of crops, a lot of production there. You have dairy, you have cattle. It's very diverse agriculture. That is true, and that's what makes it fun to do this job. So we do have, as you mentioned, a couple of those things. Uh, we also have industrial hemp out here. We have fruit and vegetable growers out here. We've got watermelon growers, even a, a camel dairy out here, Mike, just to name a few of our unique farms that we have. Is ag labor a big issue in eastern Colorado? It is a big issue. And, you know, you mentioned the, the dairies. That is a big issue for dairy. There's just a, a constant need for more labor there. We also have a lot of fruit and vegetable growers. And, and most of those guys, I would tell you, are a little further west. But they still uh, deal with issues, and one of the biggest things that they have, because there's several that are kind of conglomerated in the central part uh, west of us, is they're not legally able to share laborers, and that creates a real problem. They're trying to figure out some solutions on, on how they can bring people in and share those laborers, because there might be one time when somebody needs something and the other one doesn't need as much labor and vice versa. So that is a, a big issue that they deal with up there, and, of course, just, just keeping those folks around. But we also have a lot of nurseries, like tree nurseries, that are in need of labor. And we have a couple of sod farms out here that need that kind of labor. So, yes, it is ongoing. We have some pumpkins. We have industrial hemp, as I mentioned. And those are all hand-cut crops. So it does continue to be a labor, as I'm sure it is in, in all areas. But something I talk about quite a bit, Mike. What is the mood? Uh, we've had the, the market rally, stronger commodity prices for a few weeks now. Uh, is there, and now that you've got some moisture, is there, you sense more optimism among producers? As a matter of fact, right now, I'm happy to say, yeah, psychology has been really good. Lots of good moods. You know, when you walk into the, the coffee shop and people are smiling and it's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, so anytime we get moisture, I think is a great thing. I once several years ago, had a cell phone dealer tell me that anytime it rained, they sold more phones. <laughs> so I think that that mentality <laughs> sometimes transfers into the ag industry. I think that's really interesting. But yeah, psychology has been pretty good, especially with this moisture here in the last few days. So hopefully that keeps up. And even our market guys seem to just have a little more hop in their step lately as they're giving those market reports and being able to deliver higher prices. It does have a ripple effect. And how's the recovery from COVID going in your area? You know, I, I can tell you this, that here in Northeast Colorado, especially in Morgan County, where our, our station is located and where I actually reside, we don't rely on a lot of big box stores and a lot of outside um, products here in the county. Most of everything we've done is right here. So although we did experience some restaurant shutdowns or at least limited capacity, overall, our recovery has been very good. We did not, I don't think, we'd experienced near the shutdowns and, and some of the bigger impacts that other areas had. And because we are a small rural area, people are just more spread out by nature, just the way our demographics are. And so it's kind of a different mentality out here when it comes to gathering in groups. There just wasn't a lot of people to begin with. 
But, for example, I mean, even some of the churches had limited capacity and had to shut down for a short amount of time. But our health department was able to get those rules moving where we could open up. And I think that compared to other areas in our neck of the woods and in Colorado, we opened up a lot quicker out here. Lori, always good to talk with you. Take care and uh, thanks for the update. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Lori Boyer, past president of the National Association Farm Broadcasting, farm director at KSIR, our AOA affiliate in Fort Morgan, Colorado. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.